Hello and thank you for downloading this week's edition of Power Bombs and Potables on the Podcast Potables Network, brought to you by the Andrew Boss team at Berkshire Hathaway. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and untapped at Process Potables. For pro wrestling news and talk, follow us on Twitter at PowerbombsPPN. For info uh, and news on breweries that we've worked with and more, make sure to check out www.processpotables.com. Well, we just sat through uh, four and a half hours of a $50, $60 pay-per-view that AEW put on tonight, and me, Dan, and Mike are going to talk about it on this special, special edition of Powerbombs and potables. And welcome to this special edition of Power Bombs and Potables on the Podcast Potables Network. My name is Corey Oates. I am your host, and I am joined tonight by the hosts of two of our other podcasts on this network. We have the Pod Daddy himself, uh, Dan of Process Potables. What's going on, everybody? It is a Saturday night. We have been drinking some brewskis, and now we're going to talk it up. And I am also joined by the host of our newest podcast here on the network, uh, Popcorns and Potables, Popcorns, Popcorn and Potables, Mike DeMora, you are with us as well. Yes, what is going on? I am fucking lit right now. Well, That's what I like to hear. <laughs> I'll drink to that before we even start. Here we go. Mm. Beerski, what do we got here? This is from Axe and Arrow, our friends in, um, in Glassboro. Right on Rome Boulevard. This is their chocolate peanut butter stout. I think... If I'm not mistaken, I think they have like a Stout Rages series, so I don't think this necessarily has a name. It's just a version of the Stout Rages, and this okay. happens to be the chocolate peanut butter variant. I'm not sure that they have this anymore. I picked this up, I think, about two weeks ago. Oh. And because of quarantine, obviously, we're all not seeing each other as much as we would like, really only for podcast stuff that, that we need to get done, trying to be responsible. But I wanted to share this one with the boys, so what a perfect time is we had to get through watching... AEW uh, Double or Nothing, and now here to do the recap. But man, like this is one of the chocolate peanut butter beers that I've had. There are a lot of them. I think the trend started really from Duclaw Sweet Baby Jesus that a Just lot of people got really hyped on. This is a great beer. Very, very good. Probably like the standard as far as, as I've heard and whatnot. And few have lived up to to that precedent. A lot of uh, you know imitators not really living up to the title i know everybody here is a big chocolate peanut butter guy just in general mm-hmm. uh, but this yeah. one really hits home it reminds me for anybody of the south jersey area specifically like the Voorhees area sweet eats has a peanut butter silk cake and it really has that kind of texture to me it's like soft and uh almost like velvety it's, it's very very nice it's not heavy at all when most stouts really tend to be i can't count how many of those peanut butter chocolate silk cakes i've had for my birthday over the years so that one and my really birthday about yeah. a month later. <laughs> yeah, so it's always 
always uh, double my trouble on that one. But this is this is great. It's actually got a lot of, uh, I'd say, even tobacco notes in it, too, which is not something bad. that you normally get in a chocolate peanut butter beer. So it's, it's a nice change to it, too. That might be the fact that it, it, I've had it for two weeks. I may have changed so, some of the subtle tastes a little bit, possibly, but it's still very good. No well, issue with it. I hadn't opened it at all or anything. Yeah, well, beer's beer's a science. True. It's also part science when I drink it. <laughs> all right, so, guys, tonight we ordered uh, AEW's Double or Nothing. Now, this is their technical one-year I guess you could say anniversary because their very first pay-per-view as the company AEW was last year's Memorial Day weekend, Double or Nothing. Uh, This was the first AEW pay-per-view that I've ever actually gotten a chance to watch live. So it was cool to actually be able to sit down with with the guys and and order it old school pay-per-view style how we used to. Um, You know, we we all chipped our money in. We ordered it because it's not like there's a network where everybody can just pull it up on their own. So we put our money together and ordered it on a Saturday night, had some beers and... uh, I, I had a good time. Only thing we were missing from the old days was a, an entire thing of Oreos. Or a bunch of uh, Domino's. True. So, uh, yeah, this this show, uh, you know, we'll, we're going about to get into it. Uh, but, I mean, there was, there was highs. There were some lows. But I, I had a good time uh, watching it. The show started off with the buy-in. They have a pre-show 30 minutes before it goes on the air. Uh, this match was the best friends versus private party. And Private Party was in the crowd on TV this week, but they haven't been on the show since the quarantine happened. And it really showed. This match was super sloppy. They missed a lot of moves. And when I say they, I mean Private Party. They were, for for being the fast-paced high flyers that they are, everything that they did was just off-step. And it it was just getting progressively worse as the match went on. for what it's worth, being that this was the buy-in match that's supposed to get me to want to buy that last second on impulse if I wasn't doing it, if this was the match that was supposed to make me want to order this pay-per-view, they did a horrible job of that. Um, the match was fucking horrible. Best friends won. Does anybody have anything to say about it? It, it just really, I was waiting for the show to start. I mean, you know, the only thing you really need to know from that is best friends is now the number one contender for the tag titles, which is still Omega and Hangman Page. Right. Even who- though... Hangman's been out for a while, right? So, so he just it, came back really tonight. We it, got, yeah. It'll be interesting to see if anything you know really starts to manifest with that, or if this is just some you know like a placeholder kind of thing for a little bit. It was just really botched city tonight on that match. It was yeah. bad. There are, there are a lot of weird spots tonight, which we'll get to, I'm sure. Right, and, and it was one of those matches where you're like, yeah, this was bad. It would have definitely been, I guess, fine as a dark match. And if it couldn't be a dark match, give it as the pre-show match because uh, it it didn't deserve to be on the actual card. Oh, the other thing uh, that I just wanted to point out, and I actually wanted to talk about two things at the top but already forgot, uh, that would be the alcohol speaking. One, in this match, Private Party hit the G9, which was a crime time move, which was a tribute to Shad Gaspard. Yep. I I heard them talk about that. So, you know, condolences to his family. A, a lot of people are already familiar with that situation. It's him and his son. Yes. yes. Not, like lost out in the ocean. Yeah, heavy, or, heavy riptide. Yeah, so under tra- tragic. And then there's also in, in in somewhat of the same vein the story of Hana Kimura. Yeah. Who unfortunately passed away at twenty two. Uh, you know, an incident involving cyberbullying, which is nothing to joke about, obviously. So I, I, I definitely wanted to set this up at the top. So this is a weird spot now, but, you know, condolences to the families of, of both of those athletes for sure. Yeah. I mean, all I'm going to say about that is, is that, 
you know, social media and Twitter can be used for good things, but it has also come out to be used as a uh, tool for just really bad things. And this was a perfect example of what can be the end result of that. Yes. Yeah. And I, I didn't want to like derail the whole thing at the beginning and spend too much time on them either. Cause this is really just a review of the thing. The one thing I will say to that, and this is something that I hope people can, can take, uh, you know, can take away from this is even when you're using social media for like, we all have to use it for our, our network and our brand and in our personal lives as well. It, it's a, it's a huge thing and it can be fun. It's very important to know that you, you don't need it and you can walk away whenever it is any kind of hindrance to you. I deleted the Facebook app this week because of toxicity, because of just needing to refresh my mental state and just, just know that those are things you can do uh, to hopefully try and, you know, reset yourself sometimes. So never be afraid to do that kind of thing, do whatever you need take care of yourself i i completely agree with that yeah i actually did that for about a month on facebook and it was you know hard to do at first Mm -hmm. it's one of those things you just want to just go on all the time it's an addiction that you don't actually realize is an addiction until you consistently realize how much you pick up that phone and how much you instantly go for those apps yes and then once i got past the three-day mark i'm just like all right i don't really need this Mm -hmm. so for about a month i was off of facebook i mean i'm back on now but for that time it was kind of great. You Sometimes know? it's 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 good from what I've been told from other people to just be off the grid. Unfortunately, you know, for for myself, I don't put too much stuff out there. Yeah, but I I like like you said, I have a radio show. I have this podcast. Uh, when the quarantine's not going on, I work for an entertainment company. Like I have so much things to promote that I need that the, those tools to to push the brand. Uh, besides that. You know, it's it's not a thing that I I can li- I don't need to to function in life, but it's it for people like us it is it is a crucial uh, tool to right. have. And that's all I did was uninstall the app. So now it's like if I want to go on it, I have to kind of get on my computer, type it in, like and like really want to go for that. So I just think even that is a different state of mind and can it help is. sometimes to just not have it constantly blowing up your phone, which obviously we all always have and are generally looking at. Sorry, anyway. No, it's fine. So we get to the main card. Uh, the main pay-per-view opens up with the casino. Uh, it's supposed to be normally the casino battle row, but this this time it's a casino ladder match, and it's going to be for the number one contendership for the AEW world title. Uh, Darby Allen versus Colt Cabana versus Orange Cassidy versus Joey Janela, Scorpio Sky, Kip Sabian, Frankie Kazarian, Luchasaurus, and a mystery competitor. Uh, right out of the gate, I assumed that the mystery opponent had to be somebody that we haven't seen in AEW before, which kind of limits it to not many people. And for what it's worth, I kind of guessed who it was going to be, but we'll get to that once we get to the the end of it here. Uh, The concept of this match is it starts with two guys in the ring every two minutes there. After that, somebody else enters. They started off with Kazarian and Scorpio Sky, which is cool. The two SCU guys having to face off for two minutes. They didn't really do much. They didn't really go at it. Uh, the, The ideal cliche of that scenario is the Royal Rumble from 1989 where Axe and Smash, Demolition, had to face each other for the first two minutes and they just beat the shit out of each other for two minutes to really just say, well, fuck it. Um, but these two started off followed by Kip Sabian, then Darby Allen. 
And that's kind of when the match really started uh, turning up with the action. Uh, Darby put Kazarian on top of a ladder, draped him. Ac- the, the the ladder was draped across the ring apron to the barricade. Kazarian was on top of it. At this point, Darby Allen climbed to the top of a of a tall ladder, which you would almost think of like the Jeff Hardy ladder, and he jumps off of it, puts the skateboard underneath of him. Kazarian's gone, and this looked really bad when Dar- Darby Allen landed all the way on the ground through the ladder with it. Yeah, this isn't obviously like you can't protect yourself the way you do with a lot of wrestling moves, which these guys are trained to do to take these falls, to take these bumps. But the skateboarding aspect changes that. And to come down on something like that, the the pressure on your knees, on your quads, on everything is just asking for trouble. And especially when you then factor in that he's not just landing straight on the floor and maybe can like just kind of bail out. You're dealing with the physics and the recoil of the ladder, which is terribly unpredictable. So I don't know if this is something that, you know, he he's, this seems like a hard thing to work on to figure out. This seems like one of those like, Hey, like, fuck it. We'll go out there and try it. And fortunately it looks like he's okay. I mean, he gets through the match and maybe we'll find out what came of it, but yeah, really it didn't do anything and it could have been really bad. It wasn't this like, Oh my God, this is cool. Like from the start, it was like one, why is this even a thing? Like I know the gimmick, but it just doesn't, didn't add anything and it didn't really impress me. It just made me concerned. And that's just something he does all the time. Like on every pay-per-view, he does this big spot and he just messes up some part of his body. I feel like, and it's funny that they compare him to Jeff Hardy so much because the thing about Jeff Hardy was always, and I guess you could even say still is, is that, well, he does a crazy move. But then the problem is, is the next time round he has to top said crazy move. And eventually it's going to be like, all right, well, wh- wh- where does this end? And Darby Allen's like incredibly young. So he's got a he long long future ahead of him and he's just going to damage his career. There's like a video of him doing like a 70 foot coffin drop. (laughs) Like why? Yeah. There's no need. It's like those people that go to a party and every time you tell like a joke or a story, they have to one up you. Yes. You hate that person (laughs) and it gets more ridiculous and more ridiculous and more unbelievable every time. Uh, out next is good old pockets. Orange Cassidy. Um, Definitely, they, this is where they turn the comedy on for this match. Uh, they're telling the story here that he's mad that he has to climb a ladder to win. So he stands in the ring for the next you know, two minutes, hands in his pockets, looking up while they kept zooming out, and there was literally a ladder f- just at his feet that he could have just set up. Nobody was in the ring, and he could have done it, but he didn't want to have to climb the ladder. <laughs> I mean, it was it, the thing that was weird, and I know like this room is very split because there's two guys that really like Orange Cassidy yep. and one guy who's not that big a fan. Here's the thing is it seemed like the original intent of the story was that he didn't understand the concept of how to get up there, which was funny. Then it seemed like when he went to the announce team, mm-hmm. which didn't make sense to the story I just mentioned, then they turned it into, like, he's lazy, he doesn't want to do it. And now, like, even me, who enjoys him and, and, you know, like, enjoys this part of the match and these spots, is saying, well, which one is it? Is he lazy or is he, like, playing really dumb? Because the playing dumb thing is funny. The lazy thing doesn't fit his character and isn't really funny. Can I also point out that he actually talked in his pre-promo? And we all were just like, wait, he talks? (laughs) Can he just not? Yeah, don't do it. Yeah, that kind of ruined his character a little bit for me. I mean, I, I still love him, but I mean, that just kind of, I just like him not talking at all. All that said, I think he was the best part of this entire match. I agree with that. Right. All, all his spots were great. I don't want to give too many of them away before we we'll get to everybody it, else but... who's in, but it, it, a lot of really weird spots, a lot of, uh, you know, 
messing things up, a lot of botches and yeah. whatnot. I, I think most of the highlights to me for this match came with Orange Cassie being a part of them. So I think I got to give him a lot of credit for it because I kind of expected him to be a guy who has that initial spot just staring up and like gets clobbered and we don't see him again. The fact that he was worked in several times I thought was very well done. Yeah. Um, speaking of, you know, we're continuing. Uh, Colt Cabana, Joey Janela, Luchasaurus are the next three out. Nothing really happens in those. Uh, and we finally get to the mystery entrant. Uh, before this one on the air, like I said, I suggested the only person that I could think of that's out there. Because if you're going to introduce the new person, it can't be someone that they've already had. It has to be someone new. And you'd think that it would be somebody that would that would win this because of the surprise. But it would also be need to be somebody that's eligible to be for the, the title. So the first name that came to mind is is Brian Cage, who's been a free agent since, uh, I believe, January with Impact. And nobody's seen him since his, his last match there at their, their New Year's pay-per-view. Um, and Brian Cage was, was the mystery. He came out with Taz, which is interesting. Uh, Taz, who announced the buy-in match and said he had some business to take care of. And they brought him out. Uh, with, with Taz, Taz was carrying the orange towel. I was kind of just trying to figure out where the correlation there was going to be. Um, but uh, he he run, runs through most of the guys. Orange Cassidy gets on his back and rides him all the way to the <laughs> top of the ladder, awesome. which which my favorite spot this. of the whole thing. My it second made sense. favorite. And um, eventually they they pull Cage down and they 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 bury him outside of the ring with ladders, guardrails, and. Uh, a giant poker chip that they had as part of the set. Uh, the match gets even more garbagey at this point. Once once Marco Stunt gets in there, he brings out a really small ladder. I just I just hate Marco Stunt, so I need to bring that <laughs> up every time. Uh, I don't you know I don't say that he's a horrible person. He just doesn't belong in my wrestling ring unless he's getting squashed. Your wrestling ring. Thank you. Um, <laughs> My well, show, goddammit. Well, what about Jimmy Havoc just appearing all the time? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, J- Jimmy Havoc, too, is just absolute garbage. And Jimmy Havoc, from the second that Kip Sabian came out, was involved in this match. As Kip Sabian was on the, the entrance ramp, uh, Jimmy Havoc was sliding ring uh, ladders into the ring. So it's just, I don't know, I, it, it's just hokey to me. Jimmy Havoc's whole thing was he was just a garbage wrestler. They obviously made him tone back the garbage for what they're doing, so now he's just a garbage character on TV. It just it doesn't work for me at all. Um, but eventually, the spot that you assume would happen here, uh, Cage does the Superman and just pops up with all the stuff that they had buried on him so he wouldn't be able to get out. Uh, finish comes when Cage throws Darby out, and they, they kind of messed up this spot too. He takes the small ladder that... Marco Stump brought out and sets it on the corner of the turnbuckle. He sets Darby Allen on it and it just starts to topple over. He has to muscle it back over. They cut the camera even off it so we can reset it. And then he stared at Taz. Yeah. It was being blocked by a ladder anyway. Yeah. And then they, he, he picks him back up and then it's just like, all right, now I have a ladder on my shoulders. This person, what am I going to do? And he just, horribly throws it over the top rope. It's a bad bump that... Uh, Into another ladder. Right, yeah. that Darby Allen fun. takes. Cage climbs the, the ladder and wins. So I, I like that. So e- either way, you're looking at potential Dar- um, uh, Brian Cage versus either uh, Brody Lee or John Moxley match. I'm okay with either one of those. We'll get you know figure out where we're going with the champion later on in this show, but... All in all, this match was not good. It went 28 minutes and 30 seconds. 
Yeah, the one thing we discussed about the match concept in general, because you explained the format at the beginning, is this is no DQ. There's too many random people that get involved. And also, if it's no DQ and people can just be in here whenever, why is anybody waiting to come out when you could theoretically have the match end before they get out there and you don't even get a shot at this chip? So that whole thing was stupid in itself and didn't make sense. And number two... To the point of cage winning, the only thing I know we all discussed and and I think we agree on is, Mm -hmm. yes, he will be in line for whoever the champion is, but I hope that that's not the next thing that the winner of the title match goes to. I hope they let this, I mean, the guy just got here, Yeah, he he wins a big match, he needs to stomp some guys out, have, you know, one or maybe two smaller feuds just to get established, and then he goes for the belt. Right. And then eventually you can do what everybody does. He'll have to have his Cody feud, but... You can save that. Really push that out. Keep him as far away from Cody as possible. Exactly. Which works because right now he's going to be mainly considered in the main title contention, which Cody can't win anyway. Right, which is good because right away you bring this guy in who's he's impressive looking. He's jacked to the gills. And he's one of those guys that he can do all the flips and dives and all these power moves. I've never seen him before, and he blew me away. Him and Orange Cassie were the two two people that I think made this match bearable. And what's going to end up happening here is you bring him in, you put him as the number one contender for the title, and the the perception of him is automatically that he is a main event player, which is excellent because they need all of them that they can in AEW so at this point because they're still a new company. They've only been around for a year, but they still don't have that many people to rotate in and out of the main event picture. Now, I will say that I wasn't entirely happy with Ray Phoenix not being in the match. I mean, I think he would have added a little bit more to it. Right. However, adding Janela, I mean, I'm not a big fan of Janela, but same his spot with Cassidy when Cage was buried and Janela did whatever, I don't know what his move is called, but whatever he did that little suplex kind of move with Cassidy onto the pile of the chip it and the like ladder. the rolling fireman's carry. Yeah, and on that, I thought yeah. that, that spot was great. That was that my was favorite cra- spot of the that match. That was crazy. Yeah, I mean, I as soon as you said that the climbing, uh, Cassidy climbing Cage was number two, I remembered that spot, yes. so I knew that's where you're probably going. And yeah, that pretty close for, for both of them. That spot was awesome. I've only been uh, doing these pay-per-views for a couple times, so I'm still trying to find that happy balance of taking notes and watching at the same time. So I think I missed that spot. That's why you have us. <laughs> yeah, that's why we're here. I know. I, I, I can't do these, these pay-per-view recaps alone, <laughs> so uh, I appreciate that. So uh, next up on this card is a match that I was looking forward to, MJF versus Jungle Boy. Obviously, in my opinion, there's nothing that MJF can do wrong. I, I, he's wonderful. And Jungle Boy is a great young babyface character that is has a lot of potential, and he does great stuff in the ring. Um, so these guys, it was originally set up. It was kind of working. It was almost like a let-me-up match, but it really wasn't. They had 20 minutes, and they really reiterated a couple times throughout this match that they were approaching that 20-minute time limit. So they gave these guys some time. Uh, of course, right out of the gate, a couple minutes in, MJF did a shithead fake knee injury spot that was great because everybody was like, oh, they brought the trainer in. And then, of course, Jungle Boy turns his back, and he gets up and jumps him from behind. I absolutely love that. The best part about that is that usually when me and you watch these things and things like that happen, I almost always fall for it and I'm generally concerned. And that's 
why MJF is so good. Because even me, I was like, there's no way. Like, this is absolutely a spot. But I still loved it. Like, I didn't care that I knew it was coming because it's so freaking perfect for his character. And he still sold it so well. And the extra step of getting the trainer in there was just, like, chef's kiss. So well done. Yes. What a great spot. This match itself really, like... I don't know if it stole the show, but it, like, almost did. It got it back on pace. Absolutely. For sure. as, like, not the same, uh, you know, level of fan as you to to this specifically, but I've been watching a lot of AEW. Jungle Boy's not a guy that I know all that well, Mm -hmm. and this was one of those, well, I guess I should save this part, but what I'll say is that, like, Jungle Boy, I think this was a match that made him, like, impress a lot of people that may not have known him as well. Yeah, I feel like he was able to shine a lot in this match. Like, you don't really... You see him enough with, you know, Luchasaurus and Marcus Stunt here and there on Dynamite, but having his one solo match with MJF, who is a great worker, I think was able to let him, you know, shine a little bit, you know? Uh, Yeah, Uh, and and, uh, where was I? So, basically, MJF... Work the left arm of Jungle Boy to weaken it, which makes sense. His finisher is the salt of the earth. It's it's an arm submission. Uh, the finish came with a weird sequence of roll-ups. Uh, MJF uh, had the, the tights of Jungle Boy. Jungle Boy reversed it, had the tights of MJF. MJF reversed it, and then somehow had... Uh, it was interesting. I've never seen this pin before. He had Jungle Boy's hands and kind of used those to, as the leverage to pin him to the mat. I don't know. I don't think the finish was as hot as it needed to be. But again, it's always the protecting. And when you when you do a roll up finish, it doesn't, I guess, quote unquote, kill somebody as much than someone taking a finish or submitting. Uh, I mean, th- these guys went 17 minutes, 20 seconds of that 20 minute time limit. Uh, I thought it was great. What did you guys think? Yeah, and what I was going to say and didn't want to spoil because you didn't get to the result yet was even regardless of what the finish was, I think even if MJF would have hit him with his finisher or tapped him out, whatever this finish was, I think this was, we talk a lot about uh, when we hear about potential matches coming up, like, oh, like, you know, this may not be good for either of them. You know, one of these guys is going to take a loss. And this was one of those rare matches that even in the loss, I think Jungle Boy looks great. But obviously, like, MJF needed the win. Like, it wouldn't, yes. have, it wouldn't have worked if mm-hmm. he lost to me. So this was that rare, like, double win. And that's the best thing you can get out of any of this. So very impressed. MJF, obviously, you know, up there on, on all our lists, I think. Very impressive, gets the win. That's all great for him. But Jungle Boy in the loss really impresses me. And, again, somebody that wasn't that familiar with him, now he's built up to be a, a stronger character to me going forward. I mean, where do you think he goes forward now? Because, I mean, I feel like the Jungle Boy storyline's kind of done now. It wasn't. So. It was literally just a match for the sake of a match that they, that they build. Uh, I mean, he can pretty much go with anybody, you know, with just with the way his character is. Yeah, so he's definitely think, he's definitely a main eventer. So where do you think he would go from here now? Part of me says that while you're trying to get um, Brian Cage ready for that spot, that you could always throw MJF in there. But I still think that MJF is definitely, no matter what, a future world champion in this company. But I don't think that now's the time for it either. I think you need to just continue to just but, build him up. But to Cage beat. with Taz as the manager, and it sure seems like Taz being the manager and how angry he was tonight is not going to be like, they're not going to be a baby face. So you, can you no. have him and MJF work? I mean, do you, do you see him uh, going back? Two heels. Do you two see him going now. back to like a, a Cody feud maybe to go out? You know? Are you talking about for MJF? Yeah. That's what I was thinking. Is he that could. Reignite the Cody feud now with the belt on the line. You could do that. And we'll... we'll 
Uh, we were. I guess we'll tackle that later. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so let's let's jump into that third matchup on this card is the highly anticipated finals of the TNT Championship Tournament. Uh, Cody versus the Murder Hulk, Lance Archer. Iron Mike Tyson is here with the <laughs> TNT title. No Tiger with him, you know, and. Should we start with the title itself? Oh, so that's that's the first thing I'm gonna note. Guy, here's what quote my exact quote of what I wrote. Guys, this title is pretty shitty looking. <laughs> Tony Schiavone had to make mention that it still needs gold plating. The belt isn't even done yet. I can't wrap my head around how this wasn't completed beforehand. I don't understand. You had weeks to do this tournament, and before we even watched this, I pitched a take to you about this whole tournament. And I don't even think it's worth telling now because it wouldn't matter. At this point, the whole thing is just garbage when you're telling me that you have this, like, fake stand-in belt. And this is the the debut of it. Think back to, like, historic titles that came. Think back to the first time you saw the Intercontinental title. Mm -hmm. Think to every time, even when they're, like, kind of shitty, every time WWE introduces a new heavyweight championship or a universal championship, like, there's still this, like, prestige. There's still this aura around it. And you look at this thing and you're like... Dude, this is like twenty nine ninety nine at at the pay per views, and it's like a poor replica. It def yeah, it de- definitely. A, I'm I'm not a huge belt connoisseur, but I know enough about belts that this this looked almost like it was a replica of what the belt is supposed to be. The plates on it were, uh, I believe, they were like two two millimeters, which is the thinnest that you can get. So, like, for all all aside here, you can go on eBay and you can buy a two millimeter plated replica of most wrestling titles for like 200 bucks. That's like on eBay, not even through like WWE. Uh, obviously the thick, like the more real titles are, you're talking six millimeters to eight. I want to say, so that's where you really get the thickness of the plate and the weight in. This was paper thin and it was just all silver plate. It, it like I said, it looked like they realized that they needed something and somebody threw something together really quick for them, which baffles my mind being that this is a title tournament that they announced was starting in March. I think maybe the last week of March or a while ago. Yeah. And, and some of these guys, you know, most of the people that make belts, wildcat belts, Dave Milliken, uh, who are, you know, pretty much wildcat makes a lot of WWE titles. Dave Milliken has made a lot of titles and replicas. These guys do all the stuff handmade, and the turnaround times can be a little up, but when you're talking pro wrestling leagues and, and major money, I'm sure these guys can make exception for other people to get that belt out there because this is their art literally being out there. So I don't know who they had make this belt, but uh, hopefully they don't ever make another title again because even with that and it not being gold-plated, this belt looks like shit. I mean, I'm not a fan with like the color belts. Like I don't like the red and the blue belts like, like WWE was doing for a while too. I, I mean, aside from the white IC belt, that's the only exception I would make. I think that the reason behind that is back in, you know, everything that Cody does is based off of things that Dusty does, I feel. Yeah. And back in the mid, the mid-80s with the TV title in the NWA, the strap was red. And Dusty was chasing that. That was one of his many feuds. So I think that it's more of an homage as the, the TV title was one of the under belts. Uh with the red strap, this is his homage that this is going to have a red strap too. And the only other thing I have to make about that belt is just the whole middle of the belt, the whole piece that you want to pop. It's literally empty and it just says TNT on it. Yeah. That 
doesn't show me anything. It's just like like an ugly. It, it literally belt. looks like a belt that you would have designed for 150 bucks for your fantasy football. Yes, league, which I mean, I you can get I, better I might belts. Do. Yeah, and even like I don't like the red and blue strap thing either. But at least for WWE, like the, I think the first time they really tried that was because they were splitting Raw and SmackDown, so it at least made sense. You may not have liked it, right? But, but it, it made, made sense. But it yeah. made sense. So at least I give them that credit. And to your point about the TNT in the middle, I mean that was, I mean that goes back to my take. My take was that they should have had this match on Dynamite on TNT one because this card had enough going on. Which after watching it was even more so than I thought. And two, I thought Dynamite this week, like not to get into it, but I just thought Dynamite was very weak as the mm-hmm. setup show. And that would have at least been like a main event that could have popped at the end. And if you're going to build this as the TNT title, which I assume means it's probably going to get a lot of Dynamite defenses and stuff, then why not just make it that? Why not make it a belt that's only actually defended on TV? Because you don't need it for the pay-per-views anyway. Right. I think this is going to be very much a TV title, which TV titles back in the day were, they were... You knew they were going to get defended almost every week. Uh, it's the worker's belt. Yeah, we don't know what the actual rules are going to be. Like, th- if he's trying to keep things kind of like NWA, it used to be, well, 10-minute TV time limit for the belt. So the match might go 15 minutes, and the champion could lose, but he doesn't lose the belt because it didn't happen within 10 minutes. And then That's interesting. I like that. That I was like how that. they. That's how they used to do it. That, that's honestly, and sidebar, I knew, but this, you knew this was happening with three people. That is the reason why Ricky Steamboat left the NWA in the 80s and went to the WWF and had that match that everybody still talks about with, with Savage is because he was facing, I believe it was Tully Blanchard at the time for the U.S. title. And, no, it wasn't the U.S. title. We're talking about the TV title. And it was 10 minute match and he couldn't beat him in 10 minutes. And then it was like, all right, well, we'll, we'll extend it to a 20 minute time limit. And then he beat Tully in like 22 minutes. And then it's like, we'll give you a half hour. And then it was a 32 minute win. And then Dusty comes in and beats him in like 10 minutes and takes the belt from him. And he's like, okay, I see what this was all about. And then he just fucking left because they were using that and they would extend it to eventually get to more bigger shows because he couldn't actually beat him in the time limit. So it's like, well, maybe if he just had a little bit more time, they could do that. So I could see them doing that with this belt, but they obviously haven't explained there being any rules to it yet, but I don't think you needed to until you got the belt on someone. Don't forget Tully Blanchard later. Good good way to throw that oh, in. Oh, yeah. I, I have notes Gotta on that. i bring him up. So let's start this match. Only 34 minutes into this pod. Uh, referee Bryce Remsburg is uh, in charge of this. He gives these two a chance to shake hands before the match. No chance in that happening. Uh, as I'd imagine this being, Archer dominated a lot of the early part of this match. Actually, most of this match, I'd say. A lot of power moves, just throwing Cody around, whether it be in the ring, out of the ring. Uh, there's a spot where Cody hits a DDT on Archer. Archer then hits a spine buster on Cody, and they're just like, oh, okay, it's each person doing their manager's uh, moves. little homage spot there. Uh, they have a spot where Archer is now catwalking the top rope, which is the second time. He does it right out of the gate in this match. But we uh, he does it here again, and he kind of walks from one rope to the, to the one corner to the other, and then stands there awkwardly, and you're trying to figure out what the hell is going on. And eventually, on Anderson jumps up, knocks him off the top rope, and then runs down faster than I've ever seen a 60-year-old man run and hides below the ring apron so that, you know, it was obvious that he wasn't caught doing it. I said that's just the inner heel in him from being in the horseman for all these years coming out. And then in another delay, referee Paul Turner comes out, 
and tells Remsburg that the interference happened. So then he kicks out Jake the Snake and, and Arn from ringside, which is just weird. 30 seconds later, Jake now comes back out with the snake in the bag. Mike Tyson now gets up, hands the belt off. Mike Tyson, mind you, who earlier in the match, they shoot a, a camera angle, and he's literally yawning at ringside, and they had a quick cut away from that. That was tremendous. Uh, we have reposted that gif over at our Twitter, at PowerbombsPPN. Uh, and, but Tyson gets on the stage with the belt in his hand and hands it to the referee who's trying to referee this match. Rip takes off his shirt, and Jake backs off. At this point, Cody hits two crossroads and pins Archer. Despite the fact that he used his finish twice on Archer, they've built Archer to be this monster. And uh, I felt that this felt really flat because I expected a lot more out of them doing something with Archer. The build-up to this match over the past few weeks has been one of the best things in AEW going for them, and this match dropped the ball with it several times over. I was bored for most of it. A lot of it didn't make sense to me. Arn Anderson was very late to that spot, which was odd. Him hiding didn't make sense to me because, like, I get it. You don't want them to see that you did it. But everybody knew you were at ringside, so it's not like you just ran out and now don't want to be seen. So you can tell me it's the heel thing all you want. It's more noticeable that now where did he go than, oh, he's just standing where he was. Like, doesn't make any sense to me. Mike Tyson is bored by this, and... <laughs> The whole, the whole thing about this whole night was that, one, they had set up that Tyson was going to have free reign and could kind of do whatever he wanted. He sits there all night. And even his only real interjection in this match was, like, keeping Jake the Snake from coming back out. He, when he ripped was the already, shirt off. That was it. Like, like it's so weird. It, <laughs> doesn't, show make his abs. Any, it doesn't make <laughs> any sense to me. I mean, I guess my only point with this match, I mean, other than Archer did control the match for the whole time. So I, I feel like he did look strong the whole time. He did control the entire match. He looked strong, right. but just the match as a whole, just, just you know, it just did not, like, sit well with me. But other than that, you know, that would just bring me to my next point, you know. Like we mentioned earlier, you know, where does MJF go now? And this would bring us to uh, yeah, this point. And, and I think that no matter what, just like Dusty, Dusty was always big in the chase. He'd build up to the chase. He'd get the belt. And then he would only hold it for a couple of weeks, maybe a month or two, and then would drop it. I feel that Cody is also going to do the same thing, and he's going to drop the belt really quick. So, yeah, that could be the thing. MJF could hold over, well, I beat you, and you haven't beaten me. Then he can't fight for the world title, so now MJF can just be the shithead to challenge him for the TNT title. And MJF could take the TV title right from him. I could, I could see them doing that. And there's plenty of mid-card guys for him to face to just go over on. Right. That would be, it would be a great title for MJF. Yes. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, and then eventually do the spot once you're ready for him to go for the main title where he drops it, and then you put him right into that main title feud. So, I mean, that that's I think that we can all agree that, that that's a great spot for MJF. And I could see them easily doing that as the next feud for Cody coming out of this with the belt. I agree. Yeah, so these guys went 22 minutes. Uh, up next, Penelope Ford versus Chris Statlander. This is supposed to be the spot for Dr. Britt Baker, uh, DMD, you know, for the heels out there. You know, the doctor and the DMD aren't necessarily necessary to be said together, but fuck it. I like her character. Uh, but she got injured this week on Dynamite with taking a nasty bump from 
Uh, Statlander and uh, Hikaru Shida, as they dumped Nyla Rose right on her leg, they announced all these injuries that she had to her knee, which I could easily believe. I didn't take note of what they were. Did Do, do you have, have another? But they said this week on Dynamite, Britt Baker will be on to give a an update on when she'll return to action. Uh, but in this case, they slid Penelope Ford into this. This was the ultimate let-me-up match. You know, when you really get off that high... Then you need to, you know, the, the, the crowd's usually flat, so then you do something for people to, you know, be like, okay, this is a match for the sake of a match. Let me kind of regroup myself. Uh, Statlander wins with the Big Bang Theory, whatever move that is, and Penelope Ford continues to just be a babe, so everybody wins. Yeah, the weird thing about this is going back to the last two matches, you go from NJF, MJF to the TNT title match, and this really felt like it would have made a lot more sense in between those you have those two back to back, and then you have this, and what we're going to get to next being Dustin Rhodes and Sean Spears, and it's like these two matches are both like cooldown matches. Mm-hmm. They go back to back after two matches that really had us up, and I would argue that I think one of the reasons I wasn't super impressed with the Cody match may have been the fact that it followed MJF. If it follows Penelope Ford and Chris Statlander, maybe it it leaves a better taste in my mouth. Yeah, I definitely think the placement of matches were were kind of off. Uh, and, and I could have seen where they were that been fine. If Britt Baker was still in right. this situation, cause they've been, she's been on such a run, but when you're, you're going to do a spot and you're going to pull people out, I feel that you could have swapped the MJF match for this. Now I get that they, I mean, it would have been perfect as a let me up match after all the plunder from the first 28 minutes of that ladder match to put that match there, but they didn't. I still feel that the, the order was kind of a little wonky for me. Uh, tonight, but this match was what it needed to be uh, to give people a break. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I do like both of the wrestlers, Penelope and Chris Statlander. I mean, they're they're both young. I mean, they're both still learning. Mm. But for what they you know what they can do, I mean, it's it is pretty great. They're just they're still learning. That's all it is. It's you know, it's a match that they had to just throw together at last minute, and it just kind of is what it is. But I agree with you. I mean, just the placement of it was just wrong. Yeah, uh, they, they went 5 minutes, 30 seconds. Up next, we get Sean Spears versus Dustin Rhodes. Sean Spears comes out wearing a full suit, which is not normal. Uh, they were telling the story that Dustin wasn't there, and he's been home since losing to Archer a couple weeks back, and Sean Spears has said that, well, Dustin is retired and that he's not going to be there tonight. So, of course, Brandy comes out. Brandy's got to always find her way onto TV. And Dustin comes from behind uh, and and gets right to work on Sean Spears. Super quick match. The whole thing is just offense for Dustin. Dustin rips the suit off of Sean Spears, who ends up having a screen print of a floating head that we see as Tully Blanchard covering his dick hole. And uh, Dustin wins here uh, in three minutes and twenty seconds. Yeah, and just the same point we had before. Like this is this is this served its purpose. The problem is it followed a match that did the same thing. These are cooldown spots. This worked for Sean Spears. He he did the tease of Dustin Rose music. You think he's gonna come out? He doesn't. Then it hits again, and it happens to be Brandy. And you're like, okay, like still we're we're on track here. Dustin comes behind. All of that works for me. Dustin gets the win. It's an enjoyable spot. If you went MJF into you know Penelope Ford and then into the TNT title, and then into this, or whatever order you stagger them to have you know, one and then the other, 
it makes a lot more sense. These two back to back was just all right, cool. Like you just wasted ten minutes. I didn't need a ten minute break. I needed a three minute break. Get get on with the rest of the show. Now I was always, you know, I grew up on the Attitude Era, so Goldust was always kind of a part of my life growing up watching wrestling. So I, I was always kind of a fan to a point. I mean, I didn't like his gimmick too much, but I liked him as a wrestler. And I think he's gotten better over the years, especially now in his later years. I think he's actually a really great wrestler. Like you actually see it now with his character. And you said this match went about, what, three and a half minutes or so? Three minutes and 20 seconds. And for about two and a half to three minutes, all we saw was Sean Spears' ass the entire time. <laughs> the classic <laughs> Ric Flair spot. Ric Flair to show his ass in every single match he had. Uh, but, but yeah, this match was what it was. Up next, they announced that we're going to get all out. On September 5th, Labor Day weekend, no venue announced yet. Obviously, they have some time to try and figure that out. Uh, but I'm liking the almost every three-month pay-per-view model that they have. So uh, we'll see we'll, we'll see where it is. We'll definitely get a recap uh, of that show as well, like we do with every pay-per-view. Um, next up, AEW women's title match on the line. And this is kind of where the show, I guess, picks up from here. The, re- the rest are, are big matches. AEW women's title in a no DQ, no countout match with Nyla Rose versus uh, Hikaru Shida. Uh, I went to our Twitter at Powerbombs PPN while this card was happening and asked why these stipulations were put into place because I never saw anything that would have caused us. I watched this show every week. Um, but to somebody on, somebody replied, tweeted to me and, and told me that Nyla cracked Sheeta over the head with a Singapore cane, which once they said that, I remembered. It was a backstage promo, but it was nothing that happened in a match. These two didn't have a match that needed these type of stipulations that needed to get put into play, and I guess that's what threw me off. Uh, but they used the the stipulations to the best of their advantage. Uh, it was a brawl for the most part outside of the ring. Uh, the finish came when Sheeta you know, actually gets her revenge. She Gives Nyla Rose a Singapore cane shot to the head and gets the win here. So I'm okay with this. I'm a Hikaru Shida fan. Uh, and, and Nyla was botched when they first brought her in. They put the belt on Riho. Then they put it on Nyla. Then the pandemic happened. She was gone for a couple months. Then they brought her back off TV. But Shida was on TV every single week and winning uh, and having good matches. So they used the momentum that she has to put the belt on her. You can reset Nyla once again as the beast of the division. I'm okay with the title switch here. Uh, these two went 16 minutes and 40 seconds. Wow. Yeah, to your point about the no DQ aspect, I think it is a, a good point. Even though it was brought to our attention by Twitter why it was that it's just not very well done. And again, not being done in a match, not really being part of a a building storyline. A lot of the times when you see a title match get to this no DQ or a lot of kinds of stipulations, it comes from a series of events. It comes from, you know, the champion, you know, like using the DQ aspect or, or, or something to, uh, you know, eliminate the possibility of losing the title. Or it comes from somebody being super arrogant and being like, you know what, like, fine, let's go no DQ or a very, very bitter rivalry that's like, okay, now we need to settle this. It needs to end, and it needs to be violent. This didn't have any of those aspects, so it's very easily forgettable. So kudos to the people that were able to recall that, but our point wasn't even necessarily that, oh, this doesn't make sense. It's like, even if it does make sense, how many people are even putting that together, and what is it doing for the story? To me, it did very little. As far as just the match, looking at it from just a strictly this match perspective, thought they did a great job told a story the work was good i liked the the hardcore elements that they did they obviously reintroduced that singapore cane so now knowing that that was 
technically part of the storyline a good spot. But again, it, it just the work wasn't done beforehand to set all of these things up all that well so that this could have been more successful. But in the vacuum of just the match, I, th- I thought they had a good match. Now, I do agree with Dan with everything he was saying. Just my one point is that while the match was going on, literally at the end of the match, I was thinking to myself, <laughs> you know, how would Nyla lose a belt? And if she was to lose it, it would be in a no DQ match. And literally 30 seconds later, she'd have pinned her. And I was just like, well, that makes sense to me now. You know, right. if it was a regular singles match, I don't think she would have won. But being a, a no DQ match, it made sense for someone to be able to beat her at that point. Right. Yeah. And it, kind of, it speaks a little bit to my point earlier about one of those, you know, like double win matches. This isn't the same degree as the MJF Jungle Boy one. But yeah, I mean, it kind of protects Nyla a little because she's not getting beat in a straight one on one you know, clean match. There's weapons involved. There's there's these other factors. So there is a little bit of protection there, I guess. So it, it kind of works in that way to a lesser degree. Yeah. All right. So up next, our first of two main events on this card, and it is the AEW World Title Match. John Moxley defending against Mister Brody Lee. My first thoughts. My first thoughts are either this match they didn't think was going to go over well or that the pre-tape of the stadium stampede match is just going to be so over the top that the title match finish would be flat that would, you know, lead to them feeling the need that this match needed to go before that. Uh, And we'll find out, especially once we get to that stadium stampede match, that that was definitely the reason why they they did what they did here uh, by putting the title match not in the main event slot, and they announced it as one of the two main events here. Uh, A lot of brawling outside the ring, these two. That's been the Moxley thing. You know, he's a brawler, I guess you could say. Um, Brody Lee hit a sit-out powerbomb for a near fall. They do a spot where Moxley hits the paradigm shift on Lee off the stage, and they go through it. A little homage to the Bam Bam Bigelow Taz spot from Living Dangerously 1998 in Asbury Park. Um, about a minute later, Moxley emerges from the stage. A couple of seconds after that, so does Lee, and he's busted open. They get back in the ring. Moxley hits a paradigm shift for a one count. Uh, s- several elbows straight to the head. Hits another paradigm shift for a two count. Then he just locks in a rear naked chokehold, and Rick knocks within 10, 15 seconds, just stops the match as soon as Brody Lee's arm just drops. He never picked him up or anything. So this screams rematch to me because right after the match, the first thing that Excalibur says is, oh, Brody Lee didn't get pinned or submitted in this loss. Uh, so I guess it's a good cop-out uh, because it wasn't time for Mox to lose the belt, but it really wasn't time to beat Brody Lee either. Uh, so while he lost, he didn't get beat by a finish or get submitted. So I guess they they could use that to come back to another match here. Yeah, but they also said like this shouldn't be a controversial finish because the ref called it because he was completely knocked out. So they also mm-hmm. said that, which would eliminate the idea that there would be any dispute over the winner. And it wasn't a, like a no DQ match. I feel like they should have had some interference to kind of I've I for me personally, I feel like they should have some kind of interference to help Brody Lee, you know. Who the fuck else can interfere? They had 800 people on this card between all these things. Well, I think they ran, out of, those I think they ran out of bodies. I mean, he has all those minions that could have came out and just kind of and, interfered in the well, match. All, well, I mean, the the guy you would think of would have been 10, and they they put that in the into work on Wednesday on Dynamite where Moxley puts him out of commission. Yeah. So I think that was probably part of that thought process, too, was I think Moxley kind of set the intimidation precedent for the rest of them. 
and, and maybe that that wasn't why they did it. But yeah, a lot of cool spots in this. A, a pretty good match for you know. Moxley has really underwhelmed me so far in AEW. I don't necessarily know that it, that it's his fault. It just hasn't been, you know, I think he maybe he got rushed into the title picture too soon. Maybe they, they could have done a little more with him and established what his character is really supposed to be rather than basically, hey, we got Dean Ambrose and now we're putting the belt on him. And even this isn't really like, to me, Dean Ambrose was more extreme, aggressive, wild card brawler than than this John Moxley character is so far. What I will say to his credit was, I think, one, the blood spot really worked well for this because usually, like, that's just a thing that happens. It indicates the violence, the significance, whatever. I think it played into him using that sleeper hold because if you're bleeding out and then you start getting choked, like, you are going to go out faster. So that was really well done. And after he couldn't get him out with two paradigm shifts, you saw Moxley get, like, really angry and, like, you know, just punching at his at his broken open head already, biting him like that's the stuff I want more of from him. So if if these are the kinds of things that get him there, I like that. I hope that that wasn't just like a flash in the pan kind of thing. Maybe that's some foreshadowing that he's gonna keep getting to that. But those moments are what make his character and what make him more appealing to me. And so the ending of this really worked well for me. I don't think they're gonna dispute this. I think this is it for a little bit. Yes, yeah, so I'm I'm agreeing with Dan. To a, a point, I mean, just something that I mentioned last night recording episode two of Popcorn and Potables, which you can follow us at Popcorn PPM, by the way. On the Twitter machine. Yes. And I mentioned, you know, before, just like Dan, you know, when he was Dean Ambrose and even now as Moxley, I'm not overwhelmed with him. I'm not underwhelmed with him. I'm just whelmed, whelmed. with, you know, the Moxley character. He hasn't done anything to really impress me at all. Um, I do like the Brody Lee character. I like it a lot. I even liked him a lot when he was Luke Harper in the WWE. I was just Same. always a big fan of just his character. He's always a hard worker. And I thought he could have probably gone over tonight. It probably would have worked for me if he did go over. I mean, he could have, you know, surpassed, you know, his character and gone at the next level with that, with the belt. And Moxie still would have looked, would have been fine. It could have just kept the feud going, but... I disagree I mean, that Moxley would have been fine. It definitely would have worked for Brody Lee. I don't know that it worked for Moxley to to both our points. I think we're, you know, I'm underwhelmed, you're whelmed. I think that the loss would have re- not helped any of that at all. I don't know how much the win helps, but I think that at this point, he's the champion, and if you're saying that you're not really buying into him yet, stripping the belt probably doesn't help at I all. I just think he needs a loss because right now he's undefeated in 2020. I mean, he has... He's just been, you know, just winning every match he's in. He needs that loss, right. so he kind of needs. You can do that without the belt. You can yeah. have him lose yeah. to a guy who's going to be a contender and go through that. Where he, I mean, he's been getting beat up by Brody. He yeah. hasn't lost, but he's definitely been down. So I think they they've painted that picture. He just needs something right now to kind of not change his character, but give him something to, you know, push him a little bit more. I right think. Now. I think the weirdest part of all of that is the fact that. He's been kind of this guy who's been getting beat up, getting jumped, and you'd think that with all of that, if you're going to have him win, then you just have that keep happening until tonight, whereas on Wednesday, he almost started the the comeback and already had the momentum, and that's what's weird for me, is you gave him that spot on Wednesday going into it, where he already kind of gets over on on uh, you know Brody Lee and that and that crew, the, what are they, the Dark Order yeah, or yes. whatever, and that's what I mean, like, I don't think you do that and then go in and win. That's what's kind of weird about those two things together. So I guess then 
I know you said that you think they're going to continue the feud. Corey, do you agree with that? Do you think they're going to keep no, the feud No, I don't going? think they are. You don't think the feud's going? So I think you, Corey thought they might. I, th- I think that it, it screamed to me right off, right away that they're going to do that. But the more that I'm doing that, and I'm even seeing this, I could see, despite him losing this match, Lance Archer would be a great next opponent for... Um, for Moxley, because within the last year, they had a feel like Moxley came into New Japan and had a feud with Archer. I believe it was over the IWGP uh, US title. So they had going back and forth with Jake the Snake would be awesome. Yeah, right. I feel that I feel like you could easily do that. And as dumb as it sounds, I think as Archer being your world champion is a better fit for him than the TNT title. I agree with that. So I also agree with that. That would be a good way to get the belt off him. My only thing is, is it is about to be June. Their next pay-per-view is not until September. You have a lot so of build up. Now. So either you do, I mean, cause that's one thing that AEW is great about. Like AEW does a lot of quick feuds on TV and they're not afraid to be like, up oh, more weight into the pay-per-view. They, they'll give you title matches on TV. Yeah. So, but the thing is, is yeah, I don't see them doing a title change in the next pay per view, but I don't see Moxley being the champion past the all out pay per view in September. Agreed. I think he has it till then. I think he drops it then. You never know. And like you said, they are very willing to do these things on TV. Maybe it happens, especially you know, depending on on what the quarantine situation and and what the numbers look like, and if they need that pop off at some point, but. Even with all my kind of like small grievances against John Moxley so far in AEW, I'm I don't have a problem with him holding the belt till the next pay per view. I think if it goes beyond that, then it's it's going to be a problem. But I don't think it does. So then that brings me to another point. Then so we talked about MJF possibly going against Cody for the TNT mm-hmm. title, and now we got you know possibly Archer would be probably the best fit in our opinions to go against Mox. Then where does that leave us with Brody Lee? Like, what does he do now? Yeah, that's the hard you, part. You can spin Brody Lee off into anything. I could even see them doing something with like him and Matt Hardy. I mean, that would probably be good because they've they've been kind of having you know Twitter conversations back and forth with random stuff. You know, here I wouldn't even know that, but it's just like looking at this. I don't, and we were discussing this too. I don't think we're going to get the um, the War Games match. I don't even remember what they were supposed to be calling it here. Yeah, I think that that is literally going to just get pushed off. I feel that tonight was in place of what that should have been. And they will still use that concept down the line once things are back to normal. It might even be a year or two, but they'll eventually go to that then. But I feel that they wanted to finally get this over with and get the blow-off match that they wanted to with the results. It would have made sense if it was a War Games match that the Babyfaces would have won. And so now then that frees up Matt Hardy. Matt Hardy and the the kind of you know um, fictional character, if you will, over the top would be great with the Brody Lee character, and they could do a lot of vignettes. Both of those characters are heavily, heavily vignette based, so it would work good. Fictional characters. <laughs> Am I getting through to you at all with this? <laughs> well played. Um, so, you have anything else to say, Mike? Or are we going to jump into the second no, match? I'll just lead us right into our next match, our final match of the night. Second main event of the match, the match of the <laughs> night, dear Lord. So, it is. No, we're going to pull back the gimmicks here. It is one seventeen in the morning, and we're boozing, and it is a Saturday, now Sunday boozing morning. cruising, baby. I feel uh, great. I'll do it. Still going. The second main event, Inner Circle, Chris Jericho, Jake Hager, Sammy Guevara, Santana, Ortiz versus The Elite, Kenny Omega, The Young Bucks, Broken Matt Hardy, and Hangman Adam Page. The Inner Circle comes out in, well, first of all, they do full uh, 
stadium entrances for a football team. There's the smoke. Awesome. There's the fire. They have Justin Roberts return. He definitely recorded this himself, and they patched it in, but who gives a fuck? It sounded good. It sounded professional. Um, to Just paint like the us. picture, they they have the entire TIAA uh, stadium, and it is all decked out. Uh, the end zones are painted with each team's logo. There's an AEW logo in the 50-yard line with the ring set at the 50. And don't forget their jerseys they're wearing. Well, I was going to get to that. I'm trying to paint the picture for people who may not have seen it. Uh, they have the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars cheerleaders. They have their drum line. They're all out of the field. And so they're trying to make this as real of a presentation as they can. So the, the first introduction is the inner circle who all comes out in full custom football uniforms, which is awesome. Um, the first thing that we said was like, wow, like if these are their jerseys, I can only imagine what the elite ones are going to be like. I hope that they're going to sell these. They're going to be on pro wrestling tees and all this stuff. And the elite comes out just wearing the wrestling gear. So fucking mad. Very disappointing. Probably my biggest grievance of this entire thing. Because we all would have bought them, and we would literally I would have ordered it them. tonight. Absolutely, we would, yeah, we would have had them for every episode, and it would have been perfect. It would have been like how like, when they did the DX jerseys, you could literally order it for the thing and then customize it yep. with your own number, exactly. and 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 name on the back of it. And my biggest thing with jerseys, professional sports getting a custom jersey, I think is totally stupid. I hate them. Wrestling jerseys, totally okay, because I don't really need the jersey of a guy. Like they're still cool, it's fine, but. Wrestling jerseys, only ones that I think are completely okay to customize. I think I have about a, a 13-year-old DX jersey that you and Steve got me that says Corey Oates on it. And 69. I still have that. Yeah, six. well, they're all 69. <laughs> that doesn't matter. It would have been anyway. Nice. That means we didn't have to pay for customization. <laughs> very, very nice there. Uh, so I didn't even take full notes. I have... I have Notes. I How one, could you? Uh, this was, match was a nightmare for anybody with ADHD. Yeah. I have very, very selective memories of this the, thing because it was just too much. It's Skip, all over the place. Skipping ahead to the very last thing I have is, wow, this match was sensory overload. <laughs> now let's cover this match that went 34 minutes long. I'm going to bed. So they, they, they start off in the ring and they're, oh, no, I lied. They all start off and then the bell rings and they charge it. It was the XFL original where they charge and they meet at the 50 <laughs> and they just start brawling, but there's still no hangman page to be found. And we were joking on oh, man, is he going to be coming in on a horse? I'm like, Oh, they, they literally did that. Like three pay-per-views ago. Well, we were wrong. Here comes Hangman Page <laughs> on a fucking horse. There's also a ring in the middle of this field, which makes no fucking sense because you could pin somebody anywhere. It didn't have to end in the ring. They well, were in the ring for about like two minutes, the entire match. Well, they used this horse as, as a catalyst to attempt to run over Sammy Guevara once again like they did with the cart the other week. And, and it won't be the last time. Today. And he <laughs> chases Sammy Guevara completely down the field and into, I guess, the, the locker room area behind the scenes. And Sammy ducks out, and Hangman just starts looking for him while he's riding this horse. So we go back out, and there's a little fighting in the, in the ring. Next thing you know, there's... Uh, Matt Jackson, who, mind you, this past Thursday made his return on uh, Dynamite. Who Wednesday? Uh, there's so much wrestling. <laughs> and uh, he he jumps off the stands, and I believe uh, Santana was supposed to catch him. Well, Santana no, he jumped off the field goal post. He's on the post. I'm talking about Wednesday on Dynamite. Oh. And he jumps off onto Santana, who doesn't catch him, and he gets a rib injury. So tonight, his ribs are taped up. So it only makes sense that tonight he climbs a ladder and then does a moonsault 
off of the goalpost and no one catches him. Three, you know, <laughs> three guys there to catch him and none yeah, of them catch him. Both things were grass. Whatever, man. <laughs> Fuck. And I'm just like, geez, like, like, how could there was three people that he moonsaulted onto and none, no one caught him. It was, it just baffled my mind that that happened. Um, we flip back to the backstage again and there's Paige on the horse. Still on the horse. And he gets off the horse and goes to the bar. They keep mentioning what a beautiful horse that is the <laughs> entire time. You think it was one of those Budweiser like stallions? Clydesdale? Yeah, might have been, yeah. Promoting beers. So, yeah, he ends up going to the bar. Well, And uh, we go back out. And here's where things get just really off the rail. It's literally <laughs> Matt Hardy battling Santana or, and Ortiz. And they keep in. Oh, there's a pool. There's a pool. I'm like, wait, there's a fucking pool? And apparently this is a new thing in, in some football stadiums. Uh, I know that the Diamondbacks have had one for years. Well, that's a baseball stadium. I think this is the only right. football stadium with it. And the first thing I was like, oh, no, this is going to be the Lake of Reincarnation. But yeah, what I will it. say is... They did some great cuts because it looked like it was still shot so live. And Matt Hardy went into this pool with a shirt on and then reemerges somehow with a shirt on and is now Matt Hardy version one. And they start flashing Matt facts and it. it was so wonderful. And one of the facts was it flat, it goes under and he's literally under the water making the, the Hardy boy sign. But the fact comes up that he can hold his breath for like 300, 300 seconds or something yeah, like that. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> Amazing. Well, with the times they get back out and he's now back to being broken again by the time they make it out of the pool. So he has two changes while he's in this pool of reincarnation. Uh, he duct tapes uh, Ortiz to a chair of wheels. Chair of wheels. Chair of wheels. And then goes and Mr. Chow's him. So for the, the second time <laughs> in... so cold. <laughs> for the second time in three weeks, somebody has ended up in an ice chest inside of this stadium on this TV program. So it's it's wonderful. I'm going to be really upset when quarantine ends. And, uh, yeah, because they're going to have to pay for buildings and not be able to just do whatever the fuck they want with them. Yep. So it, it, he ends up putting him in the ice box, and then it cuts away to Hangman sitting at the bar, and then it pans over, and Jake Hager is sitting at the bar two seats away from him. There's nobody else at the bar in this stadium. It's fucking and, awesome. And Jake Hager's like, I knew I'd find you here. And it was this like, isn't our brand what, you know, what is? How perfect. So then they they start brawling. They do the classic like action movie spot where um, Jake picks Hangman Page up, drops him on the end of the bar, grabs him by the by the pants and the hair, and just drags him straight down the bar, knocking over everything in sight. It was so great. smooth, too. so good. Yeah, very it smooth. was. It yeah. was executed very well. The, the the thing that you had said because I don't know if if you have it that I think would have been really cool is if they shot it from the far and had the cameraman seeing it come at him. And even I yeah, said, they like, shot it on an angle. It would it would have been weird, but also like, if he actually just knocked into the cameraman and you get the shot of it all just like going down, would would have been pretty cool. But you know, we're we're nitpicking there. But a really awesome spot, really well done. Uh, this these are the things that that are interesting, and we don't and we don't get to see these things, and we may never see these kinds of things again. So these are the 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 spots that I really want to make sure that are appreciated, that that get the the kudos they deserve, and this was one of them. Uh, were you gonna say something, Mike? I was gonna not just because we're drunk. No, no, I'm good now. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll chime in later. So Kenny Omega comes to the bar, 
and Adam Page gets behind the bar. I can't believe that this is all story that we're telling in a pro wrestling match, but uh, Kenny pours a shot of whiskey for Page, and Page pours a shot of whole milk for for it was it was that red label baby for for Kenny Omega they do a cheers or and full milk if Steve was here and full milk my <laughs> lord and they they do the drink and then we cut back out and now it's Chris Jericho and he at this point is I'm trying to remember who he was on the field with I lost I lost track of my notes here on the Jacksons I yes, want to say it was it Nick was, and and all I noted was he hits the Judas effect on the mascot Yes, the massa comes out. It's the Jewish effect. Knocks him the fuck out. This is where all the football puns just start pouring It, it was literally pun after pun. Jericho gets the red flag. And, right. And he like challenges I said, it. I they, think that this entire match was booked based off a list of football puns. All right. Yes. What are all the quintessential lines of football? First down, moving the change, pass interference. I want to challenge a play. I mean, like, even though they go into the using medical the, the booth, yes. You, you see all those. So it literally seems like that's where they started figuring out how to do this match, and then said, okay, so first down, what can we do with that? All right, we'll use the marker. Yeah. I Challenge mean, a play, what can we do? All right, we'll get the ref involved. Like, I- I'm not... Everybody I'm knows you book it in reverse. I'm not complaining or praising it. I just think it's interesting and funny. And you also had, I, I want to say it was Matt Jackson was doing the Northern Light Suplex on Sammy Guevara for 100 fucking yards. The entire football field... <laughs> Doing a Northern Lights suplex the entire way. Very impressive. Sammy, once again, is the star of this whole thing. When you really put together, like, every single person in the Elite got something major on Sammy Guevara in this match. And it continues when, after the suplexing happens, he ends up crawling back across the field. The suplex. It just so happens that he ends up right on top of a sprinkler that turns on. We also spugged Sammy Guevara after he did the 100-yard suplex. Right. <laughs> Listen, like, he, he, is, he is the young boy. Everyone in this is is a veteran who has earned their due, and I I know me and Corey have, have praised Sammy Guevara up and down. Mm-hmm. I'm sure, Mike, you're probably... You'd, at, at first, I wasn't a fan, I, but I, I'm becoming well, a fan. But, like, the now. kid is talented, yes. no doubt. Like, these are these are the things that all these guys put you through the ringer because you're going to be the guy someday that just carries yep. the fucking company. I, I mean, if you have the trust of Chris Jericho, that means something. Right. The trust of all these guys, and, and when they put you in all these spots and they have you doing all this work, like it's just to make sure you understand what it takes t- to carry something, and this kid has done it time and time again, and all the spots he was in the night... All, all the running and jumping and everything he had to do in, in, in with all these people that you like Jericho's not running a football field no. at this point. And most of these guys aren't running a football field. So credit to him, especially in this match. Like he didn't really get any of the spotlight. He took a lot of the bumps and like, these are just the thing, you know, you pay your dues, you earn the respect of everybody. He clearly already has it already. There has the talent. Like, so, so excited for that kid. And uh, so now here's the spot where, Matt and Kenny get their licks on Sammy because right after this this sprinkler turns on, you hear the engine, which is funny because it's a golf cart type <laughs> deal or a medical cart, so it doesn't go that fast or whatever. But they're now in the same cart, and they're making chase after Sammy like they did, and once again, Sammy runs the entire length of this field out chasing them, and he does <laughs> essentially the Lambo leap into the crowd, climbs up in there to avoid them, Sammy and Matt make chase, but, you know, not Sammy. Uh, uh, Kenny Omega and Matt make chase, and Kenny jumps the stands as well, but Matt's old ass ain't doing that, and who cares? He doesn't need to. But he leap? did appear up there. The daily's leap. Wow, I like the that. The daily yeah. dive. 
So he gets up there, and this is pretty much where the match ends. Uh, Kenny hits the one-winged angel uh, from a platform all the way in the stands, down right onto the field. Uh, for the pin, the elite win this. Like I said, 34 minutes this match got. And like I said earlier, this match was sensory overload for me. Yeah, like looking back at it, I remember a lot of fun spots, but there's a whole, when you say it's 34 minutes, it's like, man, I can probably recall three to four minutes total of it. Like there's a lot of filler. The first, I'd say at least the first like five minutes, I couldn't tell you really anything after the entrances. Maybe it's because I was so upset that we didn't get you know, elite jerseys. Um, <laughs> but, you know, for the most part, it was cool. And I think the unfortunate part, like, it has to be this way because obviously, you know, they want the the ending of the fireworks and the stadium shot and everything. It's a cool way to end your pay-per-view. But, like, this being the closing match instead of your world title match feels a little weird, especially because this is, like, a pre-tape, like, really kind of shoot gimmicky match that doesn't really have a whole lot of... You know, it doesn't do much for you going forward. That's the part that's upsetting, but you obviously can't do this match, have all these fireworks, and then go back inside for a world title match. So right. that's the only thing that's kind of weird for me. I mean, I, I love this match. I love every every guy that was involved in this match. I mean, it, yeah, it was gimmicky, but, I mean, I liked everything that everyone did in this match. I mean, we also missed the part where uh, Jericho had... Uh, Matt on the table, or no, Matt had Jarek on the table, and Nick's running down the entire flight of stairs to do, you know, a, a splash on Jarek on the table. It's, and, you know, it's just silly stuff going on the entire match. But how would you guys feel if this was like the opener or somewhere in the beginning of the paper? Do you think it would have worked better than being the ender? I mean, I get the whole WWE, point. That's very WWE in 2020 to lead with a match like that, especially when it wasn't a title match. Um, but like I said before, is this has so many of these stars that they have signed all in one match. You couldn't open their pay-per-view with it. And like I said, because there was so much going on, you do that and then you put out that that Moxley-Brody Lee match and the match they had, which wasn't a horrible match, but it wasn't anything that really set great, the world yeah. on fire. You'd just already be burnt out. Right, exactly. Nobody would care and then it would be like, oh... Wow, I kind of wish that they would have flipped those matches. So instead, they just said, fuck it. Which, hindsight, they already have it because they already had the match in the can to to decide where it really needed to go with what they were going to be doing with it. So kudos to them. They kind of had the the luxury of knowing that going into this. And another point that Dan made, too, about it being a little bit longer than it should have been, definitely the whole Matt Hardy with Santana and Ortiz. Yeah, that dragged You know, so that much. dragged a lot. They, they definitely dragged that. I think much. to your point, like, if the only other place this could have been would be the opener, and it's, it's hard to tell since it wasn't how that would have worked, but maybe that could have worked. Because at least then, if you if you go into, like, you know, a cool-down match, or, I mean, anything that opens after that, it almost would just reset the show. It's almost like, okay, I watched that. Mm-hmm. Now I'm about to start the pay-per-view. Maybe that would work. The other weird thing about this match is a lot of these spots felt so revisited because they've been doing stuff like this for the past couple of weeks. It's not as much of a payoff. If you didn't do a golf cart spot, a golf cart spot before, if you weren't already, if we haven't seen the football field a few times, been in the concourse, seen a guy in the ice box, then maybe this is like really, really cool. But the fact that you're kind of revisiting a bunch of things you already did makes it feel a little flat. I think if this was the first time we got a lot of these crazy things, it would have been a lot more interesting. 
I was kind of hoping for Tyson to make an appearance too. I think that would have been like his whole kind of thing being here didn't make yeah, any it didn't sense. make any sense for him just to be there. But he should have appeared somewhere and else in the pay per view, especially if you didn't have him written into to that TNT title match as much as I think people thought. Yeah, and and I'll say it again: it was definitely made clear on Dynamite this week that he was like pretty much going to be there for the entire show and had free reign to do what he wants. You never see him in anything other exactly. than the TNT title match, and he really doesn't do anything. And he had more involvement. At that one WrestleMania with Michaels and Stone Cold, he had more involvement with that match than he did this entire pay per view. Well, he also oh, right. had the at that point. I'd like to think he still had the the mental capacity and wherewithal to handle more responsibility. Definitely, but yeah. But to a point, I mean, he probably could have done a little bit more in this pay per view. Yeah. So, guys, AEW Double or Nothing twenty twenty thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs in the middle. Dan, what do you think? I I had a really nice night with everybody, and maybe that's giving it some points. <laughs> I'm thumbs in the middle. I'm closer to down than up. I'll tell you that, but there are a lot of spots that I'll remember fondly. I'll remember more good than bad from this for what it's worth, but for you know, basically four hours worth of show, not that many moments, and I just feel like a lot of the things they built up well didn't get the finish they deserved. And then a lot of the other things that happened just were never really built up to begin with, so they didn't hit home as hard. So just kind of missed in both aspects. But a lot of great spots, some some good outcomes, and I am excited if we get some of the, if it sets up some of the things we're predicting, mm-hmm. then it may look more favorable in retrospect because at least, you know, for what we're projecting based on the outcomes, if that's where it goes, then maybe I'll feel a little bit better about it. Mike, thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs in the middle on uh, Double or Nothing. So me being the movie guy, <laughs> I don't do thumbs up and thumbs down. Ooh. I do. I'm giving it five gold blooms out of ten Ooh, on this. Okay. All right. So well, I'm what? in the middle. Gold blooms. Five oh, okay. gold blooms. Okay. Five out of ten for me. Um, yeah, I'm definitely I'm, – I'm, I, I don't do the gold blooms because that's not my gimmick. But uh, Gimmicks are your gimmick. Gimmicks <laughs> are my gimmick. That's the best thing. All the gimmicks on this show. Uh, definitely thumbs in the middle – there's so there's some that point up, some that point down. So I'm just gonna keep in the middle. Probably if if we're going off of the comedy aspect and stuff like that, I guess you could say and maybe be leaning a little more towards up than down. Uh, but all in all, this is not going to be a pay per view that we remember for years to come that they're going to be talking about, you know, forever. Uh, but it did what it needed to do at this point. Uh, for this company who has now only had five pay-per-views uh, in, in, in their in their arsenal. So coming off that Revolution pay-per-view where th- that crowd was hot for a lot of matches, this one, you only have the wrestlers in the crowd. They did a good job with, with what they had, but some of these matches were out of place. They were sloppy, but then there was other stuff like this, uh, you know, stadium stampede match that has a lot of fun in it that you're going to be like, holy shit, I can't believe they did that. But there's also a lot of bad. So that's ultimately my thought on that. Um, Process Potables. Any, uh, we, they just put out a new podcast this week um, with... We had Max Letterman from NBC Sports Boston talking a little bit of the NBA resuming, a potential Sixers-Celtics first-round matchup if they resume. And we also talked a little bit about the idea of Ennis Cantor being a professional wrestler. So a little crossover action there. So you can find that latest one in our feed. 
If you don't follow our feed, you can find links to that on all our social media at Process Potables and at www.processpotables.com. And uh, for our newest show, Popcorn and Potables, Mike, you guys put out an episode last week. Yes, our very first episode. I mean, it's doing pretty well. Got a lot of positive reviews on it right now. A ton. ton of positive reviews, which is, you know, making me Sammy feel Guevara about of it. our podcast network. That's what <laughs> it seems like right now. I'm, I'm loving it. I mean, it's mostly Mary, though, I think, more than me. But we just She's recorded. your gimmick. She's our gimmick, yeah. And we just recorded our second episode last night, so that'll be dropping later this week. And we have at least three or four more episodes planned for you guys coming up. A lot of fun and creative stuff we have in the works for you guys. You can follow us on Twitter at PopcornPPN. And that's all I got for you guys. So, yeah, I mean, this episode is the last uh, episode of Power Bombs and Potables that you're going to hear in the actual Process Potables feed. All right, so if you like what we're doing, you want to follow us uh, on Twitter, it's at PowerBombsPPN, uh, Spotify, as well as uh, Apple Podcasts. Look for Power Bombs and Potables and subscribe to us there uh, because that's the only place that you're going to get us every single uh, Monday morning, late Sunday night for your weekly recap in pro wrestling. We have another episode that's going to drop uh, tomorrow night, Monday morning. Uh, for Memorial Day to recap last week's shows, this is, will be a bonus episode as well, like we do with recaps of all of the major pay per views that that happen. Uh, so I had a good time tonight, guys. So thank you. It for, was fun. Yeah. So great time as always. Thank you for dropping by. Uh, for Dan and Mike, I'm Corey. I'll talk to you uh, tomorrow night on an episode of Power Bombs and Potables. Until then, stay safe and stay over. Never sober, always over. 